Good morning. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn it to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We're in a week two of a series called Exceedingly Righteous, uh, where what we're doing is looking at Jesus' famous words where he said, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Said another way, I didn't come to throw out the Old Testament. I came so that we might fully understand and interpret it accurately. And so we're going to enter today into a series of teachings where Jesus says, hey, you heard this, and that's accurate, but let me tell you more what that means. Let me go deeper into what that means. And so we'll see the first one this morning, and then we're just going to do this all summer. We're going to go teaching after teaching. So let me ask you a question before we get into this one. What sets you off? I mean, what makes you angry? Maybe it's losing a board game. It's uh, J.R. Smith blowing the game if you're a Cavs fan. All right, it's uh, somebody in traffic. In fact, confession time earlier this week. Um, I had not had a good day the day before, and I woke up that morning, and I was driving into a meeting, and I was at the corner of Louisiana and River Road, and the, this is in downtown Perrysburg. The light turned green for half a second, and this massive semi-truck behind me just laid on their horn. Okay, way too early, way too long, way too loud. So I turned left onto River Road, where the speed limit is 35 miles an hour, and I proceeded to drive 15 miles an hour for the next two miles with this semi-truck following behind me like six inches, okay? And the thoughts going through my head were, if I slam on my brakes right now, I get a brand new car. Uh, you know, things like this. It was the wrong time for someone to honk at me. Once that's you off, I'm sure you have something that uh, does and makes you react. And sometimes it's kind of funny like that. And other times it's damaging. And it hurts somebody. It destroys somebody. It kills a relationship, a friendship, whatever, trust. Jesus is going to address this this morning. And he's going to take the sixth commandment, pretty famous. And he's going to tell us what God was really saying. Not that he wasn't saying you should not kill, but he was going deeper. In fact, Jesus says it this way. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. I think most of us could agree that it's not okay to murder. This is something that most societies, all societies for the most part, have agreed upon throughout the years. And God, through Moses, gives the Ten Commandments. Moses stands up and he says, you shall not murder. Commandment number six. Well, here a few thousand years later, Jesus is going to affirm, don't murder. And he's going to say, and here's what it also means. He's going to take it a step further. It's going to dig a little bit deeper. You shall not murder. You shall not unjustly kill. And even the Jewish people would then take that phrase, you shall not murder, and they would define through the things we talked about last week, the Mishnah and the Talmud, uh, what that meant to murder and what was murder and what wasn't murder. And they would try to break it down even deeper. But Jesus goes way deeper than their little rules and laws. He takes it to the heart. He says, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And in our society, we have certain connotation and ideas and thoughts on people who murder. We have special places for them in prison. We have special punishments that only apply to those who murder. Jesus is going to take a spiritual approach. He's going to say, but, but here's what I say. In other words, when Moses came down with the Ten Commandments and said, you shall not murder, he didn't mean that, but here's what he also meant. But I say to you 
that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. So he uses the same phrase on what the punishment is. He just basically takes out murder and includes mur- or anger against your brother. Now, the word brother there is not just referring to brother or sister in Christ. It's not just referring to a brother like in the natural. It's a, a term for all of humanity. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother, with his fellow human, will be liable to judgment. There's two types of angers that are referred to, uh, or used, two words in the Greek. And uh, this one is referring not necessarily to the, in the moment, lashing out, but more so at the buildup internally, one toward another. Not that it's not talking about the, uh, the first there, but it is more pointed towards that slow build inside of you. But I say to you that everyone who slowly builds up tension, dissension, disunity, hatred, wrath towards another person will be liable to judgment. Implications of this part of the text is Jesus is saying, do you ever build a case in your head against somebody on how they've wronged you? on why you hate them for it, on why they deserve punishment as a result of it. Said another way, do you ever express unjustified anger, unjustified because it's excessive, where you respond in a way overbearingly because of the inward anger that you have? Or unjustified because the outpouring of your anger, the appropriation of your anger falls on an innocent party. Your spouse, your kids, your coworker, your employee, your boss, a semi-truck driver. Does your anger build underneath and kill at least in your mind, something with someone else. Or when it explodes out, it destroys something. The trust between a parent and a child. Or a spouse. It's as if so. It's as if you were a murderer. It's as if you were a murderer. And perhaps... If we didn't go any further, we could just stop and say, does anyone need to repent about inward anger that's building up inside of you? Does anyone need to repent about uh, anger misappropriated on on an innocent party? On a kid, a, a friend. I know you'd never hit your kid, Right? But Jesus is saying, maybe you've done just as much damage with your anger. He says, whoever is angry in this way is liable to judgment. Whoever's harboring this, who's ever building this underneath, it's as if you were a murderer. 
Now, what we're going to see here is a progression. Jesus is going to take a progression, both of our anger and a progression of the punishment that happens coinciding with the progression of our anger. This first one was an inward uh, burning, an inward angst, an inward tension that sometimes I think expresses itself in our emotion and expresses ourselves maybe in, in, in an act of violence or in a slamming of a door or in something like that. And now he's going to take it where uh, we can almost see it more. He says this, whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. I remember reading this text when I was younger and thinking, okay, that means you can never say like a joke to somebody, right? Like if, that, if you insult, then, you know, it's, it's, it's bad. And we got to understand the text here because, you know, we can, I think we can joke around with each other in a way that's appropriate. The other day, I was giving one-liners back to my nine-year-old niece. Okay, and we were going back and forth and like it was building and it was getting pretty funny. And um, then I said something to her and she responded with, well, I'm gonna stick your head into the toilet and it'll be the dirtiest thing that toilet's ever seen. <laughs> Mic drop, she walked out. It's like, that's not bad right there for nine years old. It's like, wow, cut to the heart. Okay, that kind of insult is godly, but this type that Jesus is talking about is not it says, whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Uh, this term insults, I think we can, we can describe it like this. Whoever hurts his brother with his words because of his anger. Whoever hurts his brother. Whoever, whoever lashes out at his kid or her kid because they're angry and says something. Again, the spouse, the coworker, the employer, the employee. Whoever uses their words to hurt somebody else because of anger that's built up inside. And I don't think Jesus is just saying you're like a murderer. I think he's saying, no, you're actually killing something too. You might be killing the joy in your family. You might be killing the trust in your marriage. You might be killing the attitude or the work environment. And your anger's doing that. Have you ever said anything you shouldn't have said out of anger? Of course you have. Of course I have. It says you're as a murderer. You're destroying something. Then Jesus progresses one step further. He says, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So we see the progression is built. The progression is built in the punishment. You're liable to, to be judged. Oh, now you have to go sit in front of the council. Now you're liable to the hell of fire. The anger, it's inside, it's building. Then you use your words to hurt. Now this word, you fool, if we were gonna appropriately translate it into modern language, it would be like saying, damn you, in its full meaning. Like I want you to be destroyed destroyed. You ever use your words to destroy people out of anger? The other day, uh, Lindsay and I had to go to an event and there were going to be a lot of people there from her past. Not mine. I don't know these people. They never hurt me, um, but they had hurt her at a uh, previous season in her life. And uh, we were going there and I was like, you want me to beat them up? She said, No. I said, do you want me to destroy them? And she knew what I meant. I don't have to hit them. 
He said, I can say just a couple things at the right time and destroy them. And she said, no, I don't want you to do that either. Sit in the back and shut up. I was like, okay, <laughs> deal. And had I, I'd have been a murderer. You ever use your words out of anger to destroy somebody? To destroy their, their self-esteem? To destroy their reputation? To destroy their character? To uh, destroy the way they think about themselves or how God thinks about them? And, and you know, I don't have to hit them, but if I just say this, mm, I can get them way, way deeper. Way deeper. So if you do that, it says, if you were a murderer, if you use your words to destroy someone. And so here, Jesus progresses the anger. If it's inward, if it's, if it's changing the way you think about somebody or the way you relate with people, it's as if you were a murderer. If you use your words to hurt somebody, uh, if you respond inappropriately with language, or if you use your words to destroy someone. So what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? Because I think we all know I've been there. I've been in one of these places. I've felt anger burning inside of me. What do we do? Verse 23. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gifts. Three implications of this text. There's three things I think implied here. The first one is this. It makes us reevaluate why we worship. It makes us reevaluate why we worship. I think there's a natural tendency to fall into to think this. I worship because in worship, it's about what I do. I raise my hands, I sing, I read, I give money, I attend, I connect. We have all these words for it. I do these things. I go on Sunday. And remember, when Jesus is talking to this person in his context, and they're talking about taking their offering, it was a process. It wasn't just hopping in your car, getting on the expressway and showing up. It was you pack up your family. You probably live miles away from the temple. You got your little sheep or goat or whatever it is you're bringing with you. You walk it all the way into town in a horrible conditions. You wait in line. It smells horrible, right? You finally get up to your turn and the priest is about to, and you go, whoa, hold on. And you pack the sheep, goat, whatever, back up. You pack your family back up. You trek all the way back. And then you deal with the issue. This is what Jesus is saying. And then you come back and you do it all over again. That's what he's prioritizing in this moment. He's saying, hold on, hold on, hold on. Before you go through with the action, deal with what's going on inside. Now, he's not saying, because we do this as well. Sometimes we say, well, I don't feel it, so I'm not going to do it. People say that all the time. Like, you know what? My heart just isn't in serving people right now. Well, fix your heart and start serving then. <laughs> That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, he's saying, you have to deal with it down. It's not that you get to just deal with it and say, I'll work through it eventually and then I'll start doing it. No, no, no. You work through it. You go take care of it. 
You go take care of it. It changes why we worship because it means this, that the point of my worship is not about what I'm doing. It's about in that moment allowing Jesus to do something in me. It means the, 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 the primary goal or purpose of Sunday morning is not that you come and sing or give offering. That's not the primary purpose. The primary purpose is that in that moment, you are open to God to doing something in you. And then out of that, you respond. It changes why we worship. It changes why you go to scripture every morning. I don't go into scripture every morning to say, okay, I read today. I go into scripture every morning so that in that moment, God has full permission to say, oh, I want to change that. Will you let me? Will you let me? Changes why we worship our approach. This is so, so contrary because think how we normally think. What we normally think is, is this. And this is the second implication. The second implication is that Jesus is teaching our heart matters more than our action. Our heart matters more than our action. And this is so contrary because typically if people ask you, hey, how are you doing in your faith? How are you doing in your faith? What you would probably do is go through a checklist yeah, I'm attending. Yeah, I'm giving. Yep, we found a place to serve. Yep, I'm in a life group. Yep, I'm following these commandments. Yep, I haven't done anything really bad in a long time. Yep, 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 yep. And what's Jesus teaching here? Say, no, 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 no. Your heart is way more important than, than what you're doing. Instead of saying, yeah, I'm doing well in my faith because I'm doing all of these things. He's saying, no, 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 no. I want you to stop and I want you to ask the question. And this particular question is, does anyone have anything against me? Is there any infraction in my relational world? Am I harboring any bitterness? Is there any jealousy? He's going to go through the entire list. I think it's all fair game. He's saying, don't evaluate how you're doing based upon what you're doing. A later, he's going to say, go do it once you fix what's inside, but don't start there. That's, that's the righteousness of the Pharisees. It's the righteousness of the Pharisees to, to, to show up and to do, but to never deal with what's going on in here. Third implication of the text then. And by the way, actually, before I move on. In fact, our hearts are so screwed up. This is what we do. We actually continue to do these good things so as to avoid what God wants to do in us. I give so that I don't have to come to measure with my greed. I attend so that I don't have to acknowledge that I'm actually very apathetic. I, I, I read a little bit every day so that I don't have to acknowledge that I really don't want to actually pursue your heart. We do these things actually as a way of setting up a barrier so that God won't come in. We, we, if I, it's like if I just keep Busy. If I just keep working, if I just keep doing, then I won't have to deal with what's inside. 
Or, or we know something is broken. In this case, it's, a, it's a, a relationship that needs restored. We know it's broken, but we think to ourselves, if I just keep going, if I just keep working, if I just keep building the kingdom, if I just keep doing these things, then I won't have to deal with it. And I'll just stay so in lane. Look, I'm working for the kingdom. Look, I'm working for the kingdom. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. I'd rather the kingdom work in you than you work for it. third implication. First, first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. What's he saying? Third implication in this text is that Jesus prioritizes relational restoration over kingdom work. He prioritizes it. He said, this is more important. It's more important. It's more important that you deal with the breakdown of the inside than you continue to do what's on the outside. He's prioritizing relationship over work. It's not to say that work isn't important, that kingdom work isn't important. It's to say that this is more important. Jesus is saying, I'd rather have my people restored. I'd rather have whatever is between you and that person fixed. Then, he's saying, I'd rather have that happen than you continue to give me offering or sacrifice. I would prefer that. If I, Jesus is saying, if I had a choice, I will take that over this. And what we do is say, I'll give you this because it's way easier for me to give you this than it is for me to deal with that. In fact, we trick ourselves to saying, I'm too busy with this to give that. And Jesus is saying, I don't even want that. Give me this. Verse 25. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Jesus is talking about a very specific example where there's a problem between uh, people and it's gonna lead to legal action and he's giving some decent advice, which is, hey, if you don't deal with it now, it's just gonna get worse and worse and worse, so go deal with it. But in the way he's giving that advice around that particular situation, he's also, I think, teaching us a greater principle, which is if you don't deal with it, the problem's not just going to get better, it's actually going to get worse. Instead of drawing closer over time, you're going to draw further and further and further and further and further and further away. And what was a small problem is going to grow massive. Massive. Some of us have dealt with that. We can't even remember what it was, a small infraction. And now it's like you live worlds apart. You might live 10 minutes apart and it feels like you're on the other side of the planet from that person. And what's happened is time has, has made it grow bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And as the problem has gotten bigger and bigger and bigger, you've gotten further and further and further apart. And our thought in that is, okay, I'll just keep working for you, Jesus. It's not what he wants most. He says, come to terms quickly with your accuser. The obvious 
application of this text is to restore where there is brokenness. To see forgiveness where your anger has caused breakdown. Now, maybe there's an obvious example of this in your life. Okay, there could be. But maybe there's less obvious ones. Maybe it is just between you and a, a, a child, your child, because of your anger. Maybe it's you and your spouse. Think, fix it quickly. Don't let it get bigger and bigger. This last week, I sent out seven emails, or emails to seven different people with the subject line, Restoration, because I didn't think I could preach this text unless I did. Got five responses. Some will probably result in meetings or conversations. Some might not. I don't know what'll happen with them. Some were easier to send than others. But I have to remember, as do each of us, that what God is doing in you is more important than what he's doing through you. Come to terms quickly with your accuser. Here's the truth. We all have an accuser, not just in the practical, but in the spiritual. We have an accuser. We've wronged God. We've rebelled against him. Our anger has caused us to sin against him. And the scripture is also encouraging us to come to terms quickly with our spiritual accuser. And so I'll tell you to do that as well. And even as you read through the progression of this text, it starts off with, you shall not murder. And the speaker of that, Murder being unjust killing. The speaker of that is the person who would face the darkest of all murders, who would be killed the most unjustly. Jesus, who was never unjustly angry with his brother, but received all sorts of unjust anger against him and never responded with insult, never responded by saying, you fool. Whereas you and I have done all of this over and over, where we have progressed in this anger, Christ never did, but he was the one who was liable to judgment. He was the one who stood before the council. He was the one who faced the hell of fire so that we wouldn't have to. He was the one who faced the anger and the wrath of God so that we wouldn't have to. He came to terms for us because we couldn't. And because he did, now we can. The last implication of this text is as Christ, as Christ has restored you back to God. See, when we carry out the comparison, the idea is whoever it is that you would feel most distant from right now because of how your anger or how your wrongness toward them or theirs toward you has created this massive division, that was the division that existed between you and God. And even though we wronged him, Christ came to restore us back to him. And in the same way that Christ came to us to restore that relationship back with God, Jesus is saying, now you go to them and restore that. And don't let anger kill it. 